Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Lord. Amen. Sister Charlene, it's good to see you. I know you was here the other night, but you still, and you might still not be feeling up to total power. Uh, if, if, if your eyes are anything like my kids, it tells me that you're still a little bit tired. And so we want to continue to pray for those that have been through weather today. Amen. In the past weeks. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. This morning, I'm not going to ask you to stand for a scripture reading. Um, we will get to scripture. If you know me, I will not pass by without getting into scripture. But if I made this morning, Brother Zach, if you can just put up that first picture there on the screen here today, what you're viewing here, what you're viewing here, and it may be hard to depict, but what you see right there is a tree. I know that that perhaps looks like a forest, but that is a tree, one tree. It's the great banyan tree. It's located in an Indian botanical garden near Calcutta, India. It is known to be the widest tree in the world, the widest tree in the world. Its canopy or crown that you can see there with your own eyes has a circumference that is going around the, the exterior edge of where those leaves fall. It has a, a circumference of over a half a mile, over a half a mile. It occupies over 156,000 square feet, this tree and i emphasize that it is it is a tree some of the tallest branches reach about 82 feet in the air it's estimated to be they they can't put a actual number but it's estimated to be about 200 to 250 years old and as i said by all appearances it looks like a tree uh, that is really a forest we see all kinds of things coming down there that looks like other trunks and i suppose in some respects that this great banyan tree is both a tree and a forest. If you can put up my second picture there, Brother Zach, the, the species of banyan trees as it is, this is the view of that same tree underneath it. I know that looks very peculiar. Brother McGee, I can count trucks, but just bear with me for a moment. This, this tree, which is the national tree of India, it's a, it's a relative native to what we have as mulberry trees over here in America. It's very unique in that as it grows from a single trunk and the trunks turn into branches and the branches turn into twigs and leaves as would be the nature of every other tree, from the branches of the trees will sprout tender roots and those roots will grow downward from those branches until they reach the earth and reach the ground and then those roots that came from a branch will take root into the soil. What was very tender and soft then after it's made root into the soil, it becomes woody, it becomes hard, and it serves almost as though a secondary trunk. But it came originally from the mother tree. And in turn, these trunks will begin to produce more branches and they will begin to feather out with branches and from their branches likewise will come little sprigs that are roots and gravity will take its effect and it will pull them down until they find their place in the soil and this cycle continues over and over and over in so much that you have a single tree then that appears to be a forest appears to be a forest and above ground, it looks for you and I, above ground, it looks like that all these, these, these roots and things that have taken their place in the ground, they look like distinctive individual trees. Do they not? They look like distinctive individual trees, but if you were to start to trace the path of all of those little root systems and those trunks and search them this way and search them that way, you will find that they are all interconnected. There is no division between one or the other. Above ground, they look like individual trees and even underneath the ground, their root system is in such a way that the root system of one is interconnected with the root system of the other. Each of those individual ones that it appears to be are nothing more than clones of the original. This great banyan tree 
back in 1925, since that time has had, listen to me, this tree since 1925 has had no main or mother trunk since that time. There was a lightning storm and the storm came and it, it hit the mother trunk, the very place of origin of the tree and that brought decay upon the trunk and as a result of it, Sister Margaret, they removed the mother trunk of the tree because of decay. And the trunk, that mother trunk was about five and a half feet in circumference. It, it, it was about 51 feet tall, but because of the lightning, they had to remove it. And so since 1925, this massive vegetation you've seen in the last picture and in this picture has been left nothing more but what's known as a clonal colony, more so than just a single tree, although that's where it started. A clonal colony is just basically, it's a, it's a group of identical individuals, whether it be plants, fungi, bacteria, trees, whatever you have it. It's a group of individuals that are all grown in a given location, but they all originated from a single ancestor. All from a single place of origin, a single ancestor. And at the time of, uh, of all of this, and whenever I was reading I read that there were at that time that the writing was written that there were 3,000 of those little aerial roots that were making their descent down to the ground to form some more woody trunks of this tree, yet she is absent at this moment of her mother trunk. Someone say amen. So the main trunk, as it were, and they can trace it back to which one that was, but the main trunk, as it were, it's no longer visible. It's no longer inside. You can't put your hands on the mother trunk. You can't wrap your arms and get a group of people to wrap around that five and a half circumference that used to be there. It's no longer there. It's not visible. It's been removed. Yet, that mother trunk has made a contribution that, still, that is still invested in the branches, still invested in the roots, and although she is no longer visible and cannot be felt, her contribution has outlived her visibility, her actuality of being there upon the earth, but she's still impacting every other branch, every other root, every other tendril that goes into the ground and gets situated, if you were, and this very little tree that started however many years ago as it was 200, 250 years ago now just appears to you and I as a forest. A tree in the scripture, in biblical writing and other literature of writing has been emblems of life. We have it in our Bibles. Our Bibles open it begins with a tree of life. It ends in the book of Revelation with a tree of life. As a matter of fact, many places in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you see the subject matter of trees, and they're always usually paralleling, if you will, lives or life of an individual or a person. Even in the Psalms, several times, there are parallels made between men and trees. And so trees, in many instances, biblically and extra-biblical material, has become symbols of life or lives or groupings, or if I can say, trees have become symbols for lives or families. A tree by itself is just a tree. But a tree among a community of trees whether the same or different species, is now termed a forest. Everyone say amen. And so what we have here is it had a place of origin. It multiplied. There's other, other as it looks with our eyes trees, but they're all really of the same tree. But although it has been removed, it still has an impact and effect upon that which still exists. Someone say amen. I would like to present to you today my subject matter. I want to talk to us this morning about a God-oriented family. A God-oriented family. The God that created the family in the beginning and he would supply everything necessary, all the DNA, all the code necessary for man and woman and for the uh, reproduction of children for a family was absolutely 
Man and woman could not sit around and say that was of their own making, them being there. But that was because it was a God-oriented family. But as the Bible would go, and may I say this morning that we're all family. We're all family. From the branches have came roots that have found maybe some individual places in the ground and they almost assumed to be visible trunks, but there was only really one main trunk from which all the other devise their code and their DNA and their characters. And here is the thing. There would come a day then in the literal life of Christ, he would hang on a tree and be removed from the earth. But although there was no flesh that you could touch, nothing visible you could put your arms around, the impact of God and the man Christ Jesus still has an impact that's lasting and effective upon my family, your family, all of us together as a family today. This is a God-oriented family. The Bible states this, if you want scripture now, everybody can get unnervous, Genesis 5 and verse number one. The Bible says this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their, everybody say their, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. It's interesting here. Both the male and the female are here spoken in terms as being one unit. God said, I made male and female and I called their name called their name Adam in the day that they were created. I called their name Adam. God is speaking of male and female as being a unit. God created this unit as he describes in verse number one, if you will. He, he made this unit in his likeness. He made this unit in his likeness and God blessed this unit, male and female, if I may. God blessed this family, this family unit and he called their name Adam. If I may today, before Eve was ever made from the rim, the rib of Adam, before she was ever made from the rib, and God took Adam, took that rib out of Adam's side and created and made he a woman, before that ever happened, she was indivisibly tethered to that man as a unit from God because he created them in his likeness and he called their name Adam. They were earthly, they were a family, they were a God oriented family. Their dependence was upon God. How in the world are you saying that, Brother McGee? I'm saying because within that man, because that rib was a part of that man, he called them because he had the material for making the woman already when he made the man. And so in essence, when he created the, the man, he created them because the, the rib was in the man. And the rib would be what he would make the woman of. And so when he created him, he created them. In his likeness, whenever he created him, he created the family. He created the male and the female that would start the very propulsion of the human race God created. So with that understanding, I understand this morning that male, that female, that husband, that wife, whoever they are, from the very beginning, they were a God-oriented family. Their dependence was upon God. They had to rely upon God. Listen to me. I feel I, we may go a little further than the hour, maybe further than one week, but listen to me today. God ordained the family, the family unit, so much that when God as a spirit left his throne in glory, and the Bible tells us in John 1 that he dwelt or tabernacled among you and I, humanity, as the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible said that he would set that baby, Jesus Christ, in a family consisting of Mary and of Joseph. Now, we know the New Testament scripture of Matthew 1 and Luke 2 that, that whenever Joseph, amen, whenever Joseph, the, the foster father, if you will, of Jesus, whenever Joseph learned about the pregnancy of his betrothed wife, 
wife that he was engaged to, a woman he was engaged to, but engagement, it was so certain, it was so pure, it was so, had an imprint of almost marriage just impending short of the intimate relationship upon them that he called her his wife, though they were just betrothed. Though that they were just engaged, this was serious stuff. And so when he learned about the pregnancy of his wife, and it was during their betrothal, there was no intimate relationships during that period, then he, he felt a little apprehensive about taking her to be his wife because she has already, according to his knowledge, she has already been unfaithful to him in order to have a child in her womb. But the angel of the Lord, according to New Testament scripture, would come to Joseph and explain to him that child that's in you, that's in Mary, your, your betrothed wife is of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has done a work in her. That child Jesus, that you're gonna call that child's name Jesus, that's gonna be born from her womb. She is gonna be of the Holy Ghost. See, he had thought differently. She's been unfaithful. But when he learns what was in the womb was of the Holy Ghost. When he learns what was in the womb was of the Spirit of God. Joseph, the Bible says, awoke from his vision, from his dream, and he understood Mary's not been unfaithful to me. Mary's not stepped out on me. Joseph, that angel, settled all of that in Joseph's mind. And so when he woke up, the Bible says he did as the angel of the Lord told him to do, and he took unto him his wife. Now, here's what I want to ponder. God believes that his family should be such a God-oriented family, listen to me, that whenever he had his son born, he would be born and have the home of a Mary and a Joseph, a father and a mother. Now, listen today. Why would God send an angel to tell Joseph these things? Because he could. He could have had Mary deliver the child, rear the child herself. Happens all the time. He could have had her have the child and rear the child herself. I mean, Joseph does not have any biological connection to this child. And all of that is true. <laughs> but I think the underscoring reality is this, that even God wanted the man Christ Jesus to have the undergirding of a man and a woman. Watch it now. He said, I want the family that this boy's gonna be born into to be God-oriented. How? Because I want him to have an earthly mother. I want him to have an earthly father, yet at the same time, a heavenly father. That's the way God ordains a God-oriented family every single time. An earthly mother, an earthly father, and still yet a heavenly. God-ordained family. Because although, because that Jesus was God with us. Amen. He would have impact. The ripples of the stone of him hitting the water. I'm tearing up decorate. Sister Johnson, you take care of that later. Amen. <laughs> it's one of the great things about someone else have done it. Just have them to fix it. Hmm. Someone say Amen. He wanted the undergirding of a family, and we see it as such because the Bible says after the angels of the Lord came and spoke to the shepherds that were in the field afar, and they came with haste to where this manger was, to where this child was, that they came to the place where the babe lay. And the Bible tells us in Luke 2, 16, it tells us that whenever they got there, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. And inherently indwelling that babe, was the Spirit of God. Whenever they showed up for first visitations of the boy, earthly mother, earthly father, and indwelling the child, a heavenly father, a God-oriented family. Hallelujah. Now, that's our objective. That's our goal, to have a God-oriented family. But I admit to you today, it wasn't long in the beginning of Genesis that the family switched tracks from being God-oriented to self-oriented. There is a fly in the ointment, as the saying goes. 
There's something that is tainting the purity of the ointment. They have shifted tracks from being God-oriented to self-oriented. The first family, they had children, Adam and Eve. They had children. They had Cain. They had Abel. And I believe Cain and Abel is nothing more but an outplaying or a depiction of the internal struggle that Adam and Eve were having in their own life between being God-orientated and self-orientated. It's displayed and played out in their children. On a side note, whatever struggles you are dealing with in your life, they'll be played out in the lives of your kids. They were dealing with something of a struggle in their life and that tug of war existed and was played out in the lives of their kids because they had a struggle between the earthly and the heavenly and played out between the two boys of Cain and Abel were two people, one that is more leaning toward the earthly and the other that is more leaning toward the heavenly. The Bible says that Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. The Bible says that both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices or their offerings, if you will, unto the Lord. The Bible says that God, you can read it in Genesis uh, chapter number four. Amen. The Bible says that God had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. Because what had happened in already this, this venue and virtue of bringing offerings, it was illustrating that Abel was heavenly minded and Cain was earthly minded. Abel would have been better labeled perhaps the son of God and Cain the son of man. They broke out their sacrifices. They broke out themselves unto the Lord. But you can read over, I believe it is, is in 1 John. Amen. And if I can just go there. I don't know, Brother Zach, if I got that to you. And I might even have it down here in my notes anywhere. 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 12. The Bible says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Look at it. And slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? In other words, why did Cain slay Abel? Because his own works, Cain's works, were evil. And his brothers, righteous. I know we, we do a lot of playing around with Genesis 4. Well, it's because he brought this and this, and this one was from the animal, and this one was from the ground, and that's right. But here's, here's just the base of it all. The reason why Cain killed Abel is because Cain was wicked. Cain, if you will, was earthly. Cain had his own works. They were evil. But Abel was righteous. He was heavenly. Displayed in the lives of those two kids was something that was heavenly and something that was earthly right there within a family of Adam and Eve that were already having an internal struggle in their own life of being godly or quite the contrary, not godly. And so within the context of the family, these two warring factions come. Cain kills Abel and no doubt it was devastating. All the good that had been in the family of Adam and Eve all the good from the family had been overcome, it would seem, by the bad. Because Abel's dead now. The heavenly venue or aspect is removed from the earth. Now there's Cain with his pernicious ways and his wickedness and his evilness. And it seems like all the good has been overcome by the bad. But, if I say but. The family was not done producing children. Genesis 5 and verse 3, the Bible says, and Adam lived 130 years. That's not the end of his life, by the way. And begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So here we have Adam and Eve that would conceive yet again another son. They would give birth to their third son that the Bible says was named Seth. I don't know if that's where we get our third time charm or what. <laughs> that third son, Seth, would be born. And so the scripture tells us though, Adam and Eve, as a unit, the family was made in the likeness of God. From Adam forward, verse 3 tells us that now children are born each succeeding generation would mirror the image of their father yeah. in every way. Yeah. Seth is born. 
Eve says that the Lord hath appointed me another son. Because Abel's dead. The Lord has appointed me another son. Seth's name means appointed. It means fixed. It means substitute. It means, and listen to me clearly, it means compensation. It means compensation. In other words, through Seth, and you gotta have your thinking caps on this morning if you're with me, okay. Through Seth, and every child born since Seth, is the opportunity to compensate for the Abel's that's been wasted. Walk with me. Abel's main name means breath. Breath. Some say, well, it's breath because, you know, breath is very, the fragility of breath. It's almost, you know, almost like the Job says, life's a vapor, it's here and it's gone. Almost the, the fragility of breath. But not only that, breath is the indication of life. For that matter, Adam didn't come a living soul until the breath of God was breathed in him. Well, whenever Abel was taken from the earth, the breath was snatched away. But now we have a Seth. God says, through the venue of having kids, I'm going to give this, this, this tool to the family of being able to have kids so that through their procreation of having children, they might be able to compensate for some of the life and breaths that have been lost. Someone say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm saying children are a means where we can balance the non-respectable things of life with respectable things again. All they had at that moment was Cain, evil, the earthly. The heavenly was gone. But God says, I'm bringing Seth. I'm bringing somebody that may be able to come by virtue of a kid to be able to compensate for the bad, to be able to compensate for the wicked. You'll probably hear this again. This will be great baby dedication material to let children know what they're having is something that they may be able to use to compensate for errors of their own life. He said, I'm bringing you something to come along in your life where you may be able to compensate for the wasted breaths that have been in your life. To balance the scales, if you will, so you can rein in every wasted able, every wasted breath that has been in the life. Ladies and gentlemen, how in the, what are you talking about? Folks, just, I know. You, 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 listen, you gotta get up early in the morning and start thinking with me. He says, through Seth, there's coming a compensation. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1 and Luke 3, you trace their genealogies. You know where they trace all the way back to? Seth, the son of Adam. The genealogy of Jesus Christ traces all the way back to where it was first said, children here and there on out are going to be able to be a compensation for the negative, for the bad for the deplorable, for the, the debauchery, for all this other, they're going to be able, if they are trained right, going to be able to use for the compensation, if you will, of what was negative. Jesus, his genealogy all the way back to Adam, including then his son Seth, is Jesus' genealogy. Someone say amen. And so through Seth and many others that would follow Seth, amen, there was always coming with another child being born, there was always coming for another compensation for another righting of a wrong, for another, if you will, straightening out of the crooked, for another, if you will, bringing glory to where there was no glory. Amen. But that goes all the way forward to the Christ Jesus that God had born between Mary and Joseph. And in that Christ Jesus, I understand, was not the first Adam, but he was the second Adam. And through Christ Jesus comes with it a compensation package for the human race. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, and that means there is the opportunity for compensation. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to do what? to redeem, to compensate, to balance out, to 
to level the playing field to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He said from the very beginning, I'm giving you Seth to compensate the bad, to compensate the evil. But through the line of Seth all the way to Jesus Christ would be the ultimate one that was born to a family that had an earthly mother, an earthly father, a heavenly father to correct the mess of all of humanity. Someone say amen. Christ balanced the scales. He reigned in, if you will, every wasted breath. Someone say amen. I'm glad to. Yes, we have enough material here to not just do an A day. I need help this morning. Can I? Alex, you help me today. You're a grandson, so that's what you're going to be. Shouldn't be too hard, right? Bishop, I know you're taking notes. I'll give them to you when I'm done. <laughs> Joking. If you can help me today, Bishop, and I, I guess I'll, I'll be the third party in this. Brother Zach, if you can get me Proverbs 17 and verse number 6. Go down there with your grandson. I want you to know right now, I'm not claiming nor would never will be claiming to be your father. But this is the role I'm going to play today. Got it up there for me? Children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children are their fathers. Proverbs does a lot that's basically called parallelism. It gives two phrases and sometimes a word that is used in one is changed up then in the next phrase, but they're referring to the same thing. And that's basically what's happened here between crown and glory. If you get Job for me, and my scripture of Job up there, the, the Bible speaks a lot about crowns of glory. All right, something that's, that, that was on the head, you know, some type of, and this is, I know, maybe I should have got a Burger King crown before I came. I don't know, but this is my crown today. This is my crown. This is my glory. Job said, look what he said. He said, he has stripped me of my glory. He has taken the crown from my head. He's not talking about two separate things. He's talking about the crown was the glory. The glory was the crown. Go back to my, 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 my proverb verse, please. And so if we read the scriptures backwards here, talking about a God-oriented family. If we read the scriptures backwards, thank you, brother. You read the scriptures backwards, it says the glory, the glory of the children. This is my son. This is my son. Your dad would be so proud today. (laughs) The glory of children. This is your glory, okay? Spider-Man, that's, yeah, that's quite. The glory of the children are their fathers. The glory he has is something that's been derived from his father. But then we back up and the Bible says, children's, hold on, this works better. You're dad. Why don't we do this? You be dad, I'll be father. I'll be son, he'd be grandson. That's better. All right. That's better. This is, all, this is almost right. <laughs> I'll be the child, the glory, my crown, are their fathers. The glory, the the crown I have in my head, it's been derived from my father. Children's children, you'll still be my son. Grandchildren are the crown of the old men. So what happens is, I get my, I get my, Glory from my father. It's derived from my father. The glory of children are their fathers. Get my glory from fathers. I age. I'm a grandchild. And so now the grandchild that I have had has a grandfather. And it tells me that because, look, what's happened here is he's, he's, my glory that I have came from him. And so my son, the glory that he gets comes from me. You understand how that goes? So, so I, I got glory because I'm his son. Well, that's kind of sideways, isn't it? I got glory because I'm his son. I derived it from him. He gets glory from me because I'm his father. But then it says, 
The grandfather gets glory because of his grandchildren. And so that's great. We, we got this community of family that the son derives it from his father and then his son derives it from his father and then it makes full circle. Then the glory goes back to granddad because he gets glory from his grandchildren. Y'all got that? So we got, we got this circle of family here. This is great. You know, we're, we're, deriving, we're deriving glory. We're deriving importance. We're deriving uh, 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 stability. We're, we're, we're deriving some type of uh, enrichment of character in our own lives from the generation that went before us. And when we get to this part of life, then we're giving it back to them. Right. Man, what a great family. Everyone say amen. Stay right there, boys. But the Bible says in verse the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 4, if you can go there for me, Brother Zach. Now, this family is not a bunch of men without a lady. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. We're starting out without you having any grandkids. A virtuous woman Notably, your wife. Come on, honey. And really, a key word in all this is virtuous, because you can see what it says otherwise. Virtuous woman. Now, this is before grandkids are in the picture. So you, you don't have no glory from grandkids when grandkids don't exist yet. But the Bible says a virtuous woman is a crown. She enters in with the glory. I'll let you, uh, isn't that considerate? I've wore the handprint on my face one time in my life. She entered to see the life of this man with glory and her virtue as being a woman crowns him. That crown that he has then when he has children, that child derives from him. Then as this man has a child, he derives it from him. And when it gets to the grandchildren stage, guess what? That goes back and takes care of the man. And might I say from the very beginning, these were a unit anyway. Now watch it. Brother Zach, if you can go to my other scripture in the book of Proverbs there. Proverbs chapter number 19 and verse number 14. Houses and riches are inheritance of fathers. A prudent or wise Virtuous wife is from the Lord. Now all you've seen up to this time is humanity. But we're seeing something that's God-oriented right now. Come over here. I'm saying woman respectfully. Come over here, woman. You don't have no wife. God says... I'm taking the wife who I inherently put glory in. By the way, the Bible says in Corinthians chapter 11 that her hair was given her for her. God says, whenever I gave you the wife, I gave you the glory because that lady has long hair. And inherently in the hair is the glory. He says, now, I brought, I brought, I know you thought you was Romeo and you had all the good looks and everything else. He said, but I placed a virtuous woman, prudent woman, in your life with glory. And so then whenever she comes to your life, she crowns your head with glory. And whenever you have a son, he, he derives that glory from you. And whenever he has a son, that glory goes to his grandson. And when it's all said and done, that glory comes back to you. Because why? It all started with a woman. No, because it all started with a family, husband and wife. No, or a father. No, but because it all was orientated and derived from the hand of the almighty God. God says, I put my glory with the woman. She puts the glory on the husband. He puts the glory on his children. And the way that the family works, when it works right, is that they feed off one another because God started the glory if there's any worth in the family, it's because it came from God. If there's any crown of royalty on the family, it's because it came from God. If it continues, it's because its origin was with God. What do you
you saying? I'm saying go back and look up the banyan tree. Look at the stately secondary limbs. All of that is there because of a mother trunk that may no longer be there, but its vitality, its encouragement, its influence still flows through every limb, through every root. You know what they describe? What the function is of what they call those secondary trucks in that tree? You know what they derive? Is that as those old branches are spread out and burdened, they've started so many different roots, they become very heavy and they can't uphold themselves. And the secondary roots come along and help bear up the heavy branches. That's God oriented family that's God oriented family God oriented family is these trunks can be removed and hopefully there'll still be some stately trees that have the original substance of the mother and father tree coursing through the veins coursing through the veins giving new life cloning others in the same measure in the honey they look at him say man that's a force no if you get to the course of it it was really a tree and it started a long long time ago and he was compensation for all the ills and all the wrongs and all the unfinishings of mankind I know you want to keep your glory, but it come back to you. <laughs> hey Amen. You, you, you can be, you can be, you can be seated. Everybody doing okay? Better than doing okay. Does anybody understand a single syllable of what I'm talking about? Can I take a little bit more of your time? Okay. You don't have to tell me twice. The Bible states, if you don't mind, I'm going to get a drink of water here. The Bible states, if you can go to Exodus, and Brother Zach, there's really nothing for you to get right here, but if you just have your eyes peering over and kind of glancing over Exodus 28 and 29. I'm talking about a God-oriented family. There was probably no more perfect example of a God-oriented family in the Old Testament Scripture than Aaron the high priest and all the spirituality that was connected with his position, but that it didn't stay quarantined just to him and his position, but it encompassed. I think this is important. Aaron being high priest wasn't just a man being called to the high priesthood. It was his family that was really, in essence, by his calling, his family called to a place of priesthood because his sons, though, they, though there could only be one high priest, his sons were priests because they were a part of his family. And so whenever you read, whenever you read Exodus 29 and read Exodus 28, and you read there about whenever Aaron and his sons, might I say, and his family was consecrated for being high priests and priests, the Bible goes through there and it describes with great detail the garments that was placed upon Aaron as high priest. And there were also, it describes the garments that were placed upon his sons. They were not exactly right like their fathers, but they were still special and unique in their own regard because they were priests as well. They were still special. They were still set apart, if you will, for the work of the Lord and the attending to the things of God. And the Bible tells him not just Aaron, not just Aaron was dedicated, but Aaron and his sons, Aaron and his family was dedicated. When you read about him being bathed for purification, they were bathed for purification. When you read about Aaron being anointed, his sons were anointed. When you talk about him placing his hands upon the ram of consecration, his sons 
placed their hands upon the ram of consecration. He had blood put on his right lobe and right toe and right thumb. His sons had that done to him too. Amen. All, whatever he ate, they ate. Whatever he waved, they waved in the air as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord because this was a family event. This, this, spiritual, this spiritual aspect was not a part just of the father. It was of the family. And so with that being said, and I think it's important to note, if you were to read over in the book of Leviticus, the Bible says on the day of atonement, which was the only day that the high priest was allowed into the holiest of holies to make an atonement, Note now, not just for his family, but the whole house of Israel. The Bible says on that day of atonement, the high priest would go into the holies of holies. And the Bible says first he made atonement for himself and his family. Because this is a God-oriented family. Before he sacrificed any two goats for the whole nation of Israel, he was sacrificing the bullock, the ram, for his family. Now here's where I want to go, and I'll, I'll end with this because I see my time is up. Exodus 29 29. Exodus 29. This is a God. This is a God-oriented family, particularly seen through the priesthood. This is God-oriented. They're anointed together. They're bathed together. They're consecrated together. They're dedicated together. And that's a good practice for modern day. We're in this together. We're in this thing called church, spirituality. God doing what God wishes to do, wants to do in our lives. We're in this thing together. Watch me. I'm like the old bunion tree that looks like they're individuals, but they're still interconnected. So it was for the God-oriented family and the priesthood. The Bible says the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed therein to be consecrated in them. I'm the high priest, Aaron. He's my boy in the natural, might as well be in the spiritual. I'm, I'm Aaron, the high priest. Whenever I receive the high priesthood that I read of in Exodus 28 and 29, I was anointed. Uh-huh. They brought that oil, horns in my office. They brought that horn of oil, they... We'll go with the bottom. They anointed a high priest. And then yet separate from the high priest, they would anoint, they would anoint his sons. Pray for him. Seemed like two individual anointings. But the God-oriented family works like this. That the anointing that God prescribed for the high priest, he would be anointed while he was in his garments of priesthood flowed as we read in the Psalms down Aaron's beard even to the skirts of his garment had that oil upon his garments but when daddy died and the main trunk's gone no longer visible no longer can be touched they said you take the garment that daddy was anointed in and you put that on the boy. Because in his generation, he's not just standing with the anointing he got when daddy was anointed, which was separate from dad, but bound up upon his shoulders is even the anointing of his father before him. He's not just walking in his own anointing, but he's walking in the anointing of the generations that preceded that first and foremost came from the throne. A God-oriented family, church family, are not just walking in your own glory, not walking in your own anointing. Yes, that's a part of it. But if you're God-oriented, if you're in that line, then the anointing of the fathers that preceded you, that went before you, is wrapped up and soaked in the garment that's been placed upon your shoulders. After they're long gone, in the ground and dead, there is... Amen. 
God or stand with me. I'll, I'll shut up. It's God. It's God oriented. God, God, God oriented. And so looking at our banyan tree, we're saying, man, that looks like a forest. It does. But if you get close, they're connected. And at a distance, I'm going, there's one trunk, two trunk, three trunk, four trunk, five trunk, two trunk. That was a root that came from a branch. That came from a trunk that came from a branch. That came from a trunk that came from a branch. That came from this spot right here that's now void. But what was here is still in there. That looks like individual. No, 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 it's not individual. There's still some connection. Why? He says, because if you if you take Mary and you go backwards, and if you even take, listen, folks, even if you take Joseph, who wasn't his biological father, and go backwards. Both Mary and Joseph go back to the house of David, which goes back to the line of Seth. And if we trace it to Seth, we trace it on back to Adam. And we trace it to Adam, we trace it on back to God. Because it always says, and after and after Seth, it says, was the son of God, Adam. It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. So we have a great privilege today. God made units. He called them. He called their name Adam. Them. He created. Adam Eve. That unit. That family. He gave them the ability of reproduction. That after the calamity of Abel and Cain, starting with Seth forward, that there would be a compensation to right the wrongs of the past through a child. Foretelling and pointing further down the road to the child that would ultimately come that we celebrate around this season that would absolutely correct the malady of humanity. And with all of that, with all of that, it started with him and it ends with him Notice what the son said, Christ. He said, the glory that I have, it came from my father. He said, I don't have any glory of my own. Any glory I derived came from dad. It's God-oriented. God-oriented. Family. These altars are open today. Somebody would desire to find a place to... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.